0: old-timey crimey. I am Chrissy. And I am Amber. And this week we have a tragic tale for you, but there are quite some interesting old-timey things happening as well. <laughs> Definitely some, uh, some interesting shenanigans and antics as this case goes on. Uh, so yes, we are going to get into a crime from yesteryear very soon. But this week, instead of doing my usual spiel about the Patreon, I wanted to invite you, our wonderful, intrepid listeners, to tell us about your hometown. Or your town now. Doesn't have to be hometown. It can be any town. But Amber and I kind of want a new challenge. And that challenge is to be a little bit more restricted on what we can do. So we want to do a story about a murder that happened in your town, Or any sort of crime, really. But, you know, most of the time, if it makes the papers, it's murder. And we want to dig in and find that crime that maybe you don't even know about. And then tell you all about it on the air. Uh, This was inspired by the fact that because of our whole, like, time limit that we put on when we can do cases from, how old they have to be. And that this year in January, we'll be hitting 1954. And so I can finally tell the story from the town where I grew up. Because their only real good murder story is from 1954. So, yeah, we want to find a murder in your hometown. You don't have to know about it. If you do, you can tell us. We'll take a look at it and see if we can make an episode out of it. Yeah, so
1: send us your hometowns. You can hit us up, email, Twitter, Facebook. Yes, yes. Just get a message to us. Let us know what town you want us to dig into.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Email and Facebook.
0: Yeah, so email and Facebook. So Old Timey Crimey on Facebook and oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. So, okay. Uh, This story that we're going to tell today, Amber found this in the book Psycho USA by Harold Schechter. That was a gift from a listener and friend of the show, Paul. So thank you again, Paul. Thanks, Paul. I actually want to talk about a particular topic um, to open this up. And that is abortions in the late 19th century. It is rare to see them actually called that in the newspapers, criminal operation. Yes, criminal operations. That was the preferred terminology. I did see the word abortion in one article, just one. It was so rare that it was enough to make me raise my eyebrows and be like, Re- really? They-, they actually wrote the word If you look up just that phrase, criminal operation, in the year 1896, just that year, on newspapers.com, you'll get over 3,200 matches. Wow. So that should give you an idea of what's going on here and how often it's going on. And now generally when these made the paper, not always, but generally it was because the patient had died. Which makes it insane to realize that, as one book on the topic tells us, One in five women had an abortion in 19th century America. Some estimates have up to 35% of pregnancies in that same time period ending in abortion. Wow. You could buy abortive fashions from vendors on the street, door-to-door salespeople, via ads in the newspaper, and of course, you know, I had fun with that. So, (laughs) female pills was one euphemism of many. This is from the personal ads... In the Philadelphia Inquirer in 1895, French female pills safely and speedily relieves all female irregularities. One dollar by mail. That is right below an ad for soups, roast stewed, and boiled dinner with vegetables at Cromwell's on South Second Street.
1: But on top of that, so the, the things that are not advertised here and we're probably losing count really of how many things happened there were recipes that they would share with women and women would pass to each other on how to discreetly
0: plan B themselves, basically. Yeah, and it wasn't really... A lot of women didn't really look on it as, like, abortion. They thought of it as, my, my menstruation's blocked. You know? Um, <laughs> it, there, until such time as you had the quickening, which we're going to talk about a little bit, As you know, you felt the baby move until that time, there wasn't really anything there in their minds. And because I mean, science has come a long way. Yes, yes. So much further. So uh, sandwiched between these uh, other two ads for. Well, between two other ads for quick relief, female pills is a personal ad, an actual personal ad, kind of like we would expect to see. Nice young man wishes to meet young lady, object matrimony. It's just really interesting to see it that so early. You didn't see it nearly as much. It's it's kind of a rarity. And so I was, that that was entertaining to me.
1: I'm a very nice young man. Somebody marry me.
0: Please marry me. It could have very well been his own mother placed that in the newspaper. That's almost certainly the case. He's such a nice young man. There are other ads for such uh, technological and medical marvels as phrenology readings. Oh, God. Uh, A chiropodist who will treat your feet so you don't get blood poisoning. Very important. Oh, yes. Blood poisoning is super, super common. Yes, yes. And through the feet, as everyone knows. So, uh, yeah, I go to my chiropodist every week uh, to have my blood poisoning treatment. (laughs) Prevention. Prevention. Prevention, and Is that the thing prevention? where they just stick onions in your socks? And... Yeah, that's exactly what they do. I don't know why I can't just buy them at the grocery store. To do it at home, but they said it's not the same. So, also in that column were multiple ads for midwives who would board ladies during their confinement, probably mostly single ladies, as well as adopt out the infant afterwards. There were also uh, there was an ad for wild grape suppositories for ladies. Oh wait, that's probably another abortifacient. Uh, I couldn't find any information on wild grape as an abortive fashion. And these days, that was a scary Google search to make. And making it. All right. <laughs> I No, I did. I did. <laughs> Why was it scary? Oh, these days. Because of laws and stuff that are starting to come down. Oh. Amber puts her phone away. <laughs> I'll take that hit for the team.
1: I was thinking that was something on like urban dictionary I've never heard of or something.
0: No, it was probably just one of those, you know, plants or whatever that they say, you know, would induce abortion. There were, uh, Penny Royal was another one. Um, There were several different, different herbal concoctions you could make. Cocaine. There you go. And many of these midwives would likely perform an abortion if you got to them soon enough. There was, like I said, the quickening. A lot of them wouldn't do an abortion after that. Um, Even many churches drew the distinction between a pregnancy before and after the quickening. While, of course, saying, you know, you shouldn't get an abortion at all, but some kind of hinting that if you did, at least, you know, do it in time. And the thing was, abortion and obstetrics in general was, for some of the 19th century, dominated by women. But then the medical system started to become more centralized and require education and such. And so you started male doctors, you started seeing male doctors edge into the business as with this commercialization of healthcare. yeah, And
1: women couldn't go to school a lot of the times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of cases where we'll, we'll talk about a medical school or even just a regular college. And we always note when women were able to start going to the school. So you have that it's no longer become something that is of the home and sort of a women's business the doctors are kind of buttoning in, because they see a way, you know, a, a way to make money and b a way to shame people is what they've got. <laughs> so yeah, pretty much. They started to edge into the business, and there also was this inherent sort of disrespect for the women who performed the role of abortionist or a provider of abortive fashions uh, within from within the medical community. I
1: mean, I feel like you could just say inherent disrespect of women in general, because I've been to a doctor.
0: That is also true. As have I. Yes. Yeah, when I had a a biopsy on my breast when I was 20, a doctor informed me that this would ruin my chances of becoming a Playboy bunny.
1: Oh, yes, what you've always dreamed of with that fucking degree you went and got.
0: <laughs> right? Exactly, yes. That was really my main concern, was what will Hugh Hefner think? In fact, in all of my daily life, that's always, I need a WWE H-H-D. <laughs> what would Hugh Hefner do? Is my guiding philosophy. <laughs> As it should be. It should be for everybody. I'm oh going to start God. the Church of Hef. <laughs> I am the last person anyone would expect that from, which is why it's fun. <laughs> Side note,
1: Church of Hef is now a satanic cult somewhere.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So thus, uh, abortion was criminalized. By 1910, every state in the Union had criminalized abortion, and additionally, starting in 1873, the dissemination of information about birth control. Even just if somebody put an ad in the paper, and you had them inquiring as to how they could prevent pregnancy, you send them a booklet, and that's obscene material. Huh. Yeah, that was the Comstock Law. He was the terror of, of abortionists everywhere because he made it like kind of a, a, an act through the mail, I think. What a dick. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is Erin Blakemore on History.com. She seems to really specialize in this topic. She had a couple of articles in different places. Americans did not stop getting abortions. They simply went underground. By the early 20th century, patent medicine companies disguised fashions as remedies for female complaints to evade strict advertising laws, and doctors could no longer legally perform abortions. Only in 1973 did the U.S. Supreme Court rule in Roe v. Wade that laws criminalizing abortion were unconstitutional. By then, generations of women had clamored for abortions, but those who received them did so in secret. We could go on and on and on and on about all the socioeconomic forces... Behind women seeking abortions, but we'd be here all day. Yeah. And this is about the past, and it's about uh, someone who probably didn't get an abortion, actually. (laughs) Or at least not a successful one. So, she did not end up well, regardless of whether or not she was able to obtain an abortion. We're talking about Pearl Bryan. She was born in 1874 in Greencastle, Indiana. She was from a good family, her father was a respected farmer, family was quite old and pretty well known in the area, and Pearl was the next to last of 12, because Mama and Papa Brian were busy, busy, busy. <laughs> well, and also, they didn't know a thing about birth control. Though no, there was also that, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Pearl tended to get the baby of the family kind of treatment. She... Which, this <laughs> well, the family had a 75 success rate of making it to adulthood. Um, four of them, four of the children had died by the time Pearl reached her late teens. Which, 75% is not too shabby. Back in those times, that's pretty impressive, really. Yeah, really. Pearl was said to be, or she was said to have a, quote, lovable, affectionate disposition and was liked by all, end quote. Her mother said she had a confiding nature and was inexperienced in the ways of the world. And as you would pretty much expect by some, from somebody with this description, she started working as a Sunday school teacher. That sounds about right. It's, it, really, it really tracks almost more than anything has ever tracked. It's, the, it's like the queen of track. So in her early 20s, she became friends with a man named Scott Jackson. Both of them, or um, he had a a friend named Alonzo Walling, and she became friends with Scott Jackson through her second cousin, Will Wood. This was in the spring of 1895, and Scott Jackson had been uh, studying dentistry at the Ohio College of Dental Surgery, and he seemed on the up and up. Seemed is carrying a lot of weight in that sentence. It very much is. Yeah. So he was about five years older than Pearl. And he also came from a a pretty good family. His father was a Navy Commodore named Samuel Jackson. Oh, my. I bet he was also a good narrator. Uh, And his father had died over a decade ago. But Scott Jackson had traveled extensively with his dad when he was still alive. After losing his father, um, by the way, I'm going to be calling him Scott Jackson throughout because my husband's name is Jackson, and I don't want him mixed up in this, but Amber's going to be doing that on purpose. Yep.
1: <laughs> Deliberately in my notes, he is referred to as Jackson because yep. I yep. think it's funny.
0: It feels weird saying Scott Jackson all the time, but I cannot do the alternative, so this is what we're doing. Maybe I could say Mr. Jackson. But then I call her Pearl, and it feels like weird and unookool. Okay, all right, Scott Jackson it is. That's what we're doing. <clears throat> Here we go. So after losing his father, Scott Jackson went to work as a messenger boy in Jersey City. He was said to be winsome, a charmer, affable, debonair. He had dimples and his eyes were these gorgeous like light, light blue with maybe like a tinge of violet. He's like a... from a fantasy novel.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it really, like, he's described as basically being, like, a a smooth talker and and easy on the eyes.
0: Yeah, charisma oozing out his pores.
1: Yeah, and so, like, I've noticed throughout life that the more charisma you have, the bigger the creepy you usually are. So, to me, that's a red flag right off the bat. But when you're 20, I can see how you'd fall for that.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I've known some some people with, like, a, a stunning amount of charisma most of and, them are politicians. But I found that the, the ones that I knew at least I I've been able to steer clear of the charismatic creep. Just just charismatic dudes I've found but never run into the or maybe I've run into a couple of the charismatic creeps now that I think about it actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer to think of the non or the non-creep charismatic guys <laughs> because they're nicer and women too. So In addition to being, you know, every single positive male uh, adjective in the book, Scott Jackson was also a gambler and a carouser and a thief and embezzler. He had been charged with helping to embezzle over $32,000 from the Pennsylvania Railroad in New Jersey. And he still lost at Monopoly. (laughs) Right? Well, he didn't have Broadway. And uh, he was employed as a clerk there. He did this with help from his boss, whose idea it might have been. Now that's over $1 million today. Not shabby. In the end, he turned against his boss and gave evidence that helped to uh, indict him, which helped Scott Jackson squirm away from it because he's a little squirmer. He's smarmy, he's smarmy, there you go, yeah. He's smarmy, yeah. Smarmy is a good word for what it describes. It's almost like (laughs) otomatopoeia. It's like you can almost feel smarm. You can feel kind of like the grease. (laughs) Yeah. So then he did some odd jobs in New York. And after that, he went to Greencastle, home of the Bryan family, where he met Pearl through her cousin, Will Wood. And she fell for him. By the fall of 1895... She was, uh, pregnant. And he was gone. Having left for dental school in Cincinnati, over 150 miles away. They had really, according to him, only visited with each other six or seven times. According to him. Yeah, according to him. And so, yeah, they, they met. He wooed. She fell. And then she fell pregnant. <laughs> and, uh... It was, uh, it was that same old fairy tale. Yep. She wrote to him and told him what was up. And he said, hey, try some herbal remedies.
1: And sent her a bunch of recipes t- to how to correct the issue.
0: There you go. Yeah, yeah. But the recipes didn't work, which was a pretty common result. You, you were generally lucky if you didn't get sick. <laughs> so, And so he said, all right, we'll come out to Cincinnati and we'll get this all straightened out. We'll get you fixed up. So on January 28th, 1896, she said she was going to visit a friend in Indianapolis. And instead, she went right on past Indianapolis to Cincinnati. She came into town with two satchels that belonged to her family. One had leather skin and one had alligator skin. So you, this is a pretty well-to-do family. Scott Jackson... Uh, put her up in a women's hostel and hung out with her over the next few days, as did his friend and roommate, Alonzo Walling. But Pearl was in a real hurry to get the procedure over and done with. And Scott Jackson, he just seemed to be kind of dilly-dallying and procrastinating.
1: Now, there were a few sources that said that she initially came out thinking or hoping that he would change his mind and just marry her.
0: That's the natural thing to hope. It's the only thing you can actually hope for.
1: And that he pretty much, like, her first or second day out there, he set her straight that, like, that is not happening. You are here for a procedure to get rid of the baby and
0: go home. But he wasn't rushing to do that either. She got there on, like, a Monday, and nothing really happened until Friday. Whole week she was there. So I don't know why he was... Doing that. And she had to be impatient for one result or the other, either marriage or let's get the operation done before the quickening, which she was around four to five months at that point. Mm-hmm. And that's around the time the quickening happens. So on Friday, finally, after five days, he said, okay, we'll get this taken care of. He had her meet him at a saloon. And when she arrived, he was there with his roommate, Alonzo Walling. She had dinner and a sarsaparilla soda. Which is kind of delightful. But unbeknownst to her, less delightful was the fact that the soda probably had a little bit of cocaine added to it. A lot of cocaine added to it. Or a lot of cocaine added to it, yeah. Courtesy of uh, her buddy Scott Jackson.
1: Yeah, and and, like I don't do cocaine, so I'm not 100% on this, but uh, 14 grains is...
0: uh, I saw a bunch of different numbers. Yeah,
1: there were a lot of different numbers. But yeah, there was a decent amount of cocaine in her sarsaparilla soda. Yes,
0: yes. And I couldn't find specific information on cocaine's effect when ingested in a beverage. Because you think cocaine and you think it's upper. You know, snorted and you think upper. You know, people who are talking really fast and, you know, you don't think passed out. Or at least I don't. I've never done it. (laughs)
1: There's definitely a possibility that it was more than just cocaine that he put in her drink. Sure. So it, it was cocaine... Maybe, and some other stuff.
0: Possibly. I did find um, instances fairly recently of men spiking women's drinks with cocaine and then sexually assaulting them after they slipped into unconsciousness. Oh, is that like a thing? Yeah, one guy did that, uh, sexually assaulted the woman, and then used her thumbprint to open her phone and get into her bank account. Wow. That was in England, and he got seven years. The description of the victim's state after uh, ingesting the cocaine was unwell and incoherent. All right, then maybe. So it seems like it's a little different than we might expect if it's ingested. Definitely not recommending that to anybody. That, that's your Consider that your old timey crimey tip of the day. Um, uh, do not eat cocaine. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like, I'm, I'm actually really surprised. So I'm just like, wow, the more you know that you can use cocaine to make somebody pass out. Like, it reacts differently if in your drink than in your nose. Yeah, also don't
0: give people cocaine uh, when they don't know what they're getting. And, <laughs> and try to poison them or make them pass out. So those are your old-timey crammy tips. Sometimes old-timey crammy tips seem a little obvious, but, you know. I, just in case. I don't know what you don't know. So, I'm just, just trying to cover my bases. The men then hauled Pearl into a cab and crossed over into Kentucky. Now, I immediately was like, okay, so two dudes bring a passed out woman into your cab and you're just like, all right, where to, boys? (laughs) You know, but apparently they, they might have threatened him with a gun. Uh, There's also the fact that he was black and they were white in Kentucky, (laughs) yeah, in the 1890s. There's not a lot of good there. There's a big power differential. And so the men took her to an apple orchard and they attacked her. We'll get into the details of the attack when we talk about the crime scene and the autopsy in a minute. But it really seemed kind of like a roll of the dice what would happen here because in the lead up to this attack, Scott Jackson seemed to pl- change his plans every time a gust of wind blew by. Sometimes he planned to actually have her get an abortion. Uh, sometimes, according to Putnam County historian Larry Tippen, he said he would quote, cut Pearl to pieces and leave her remains in various places before he would marry her. So He's like, I'd rather cut her up and scatter her all over town, then marry her. Wow. What a charmer. Uh, There was also, in in the ideas where he would dump her, there was the sewer, uh, there was an incinerator in the med school, you know, just various ideas. Another idea was to take her to a sandbar and kill her and bury her there. Which, depending on the sandbar, I can't decide if that's actually a good idea or a bad idea. I mean, I've seen sandbars where, like, they essentially are a little island almost, and you can have a house there. So, if anybody's living there, that's bad. But it feels almost like you you could do do better than it's better than putting her in the water. Almost every time the body comes up, you know, <laughs> no matter what you do, we've seen it happen.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, like a sandbar, I feel like the sand would constantly be shuffling.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's that, too. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, probably feels like a good idea that he abandoned that idea. So, um, but he uh, apparently went with uh, kill her in an orchard. And then her belongings were tossed over the bridge into the river. So lots of big ideas, but then just goes sloppy and lazy. And, uh, so then it's not long before the body is discovered probably just a few hours, Uh, close to daybreak, there was a farmhand walking to work in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, and he saw a woman that he thought was maybe, you know, sleeping off a bender under the apple trees. Apparently that was a common thing. That was, so the
1: soldiers would get their ladies of the night and bring them to the orchard, and usually if, like, the girl would fall asleep after, they would just leave them behind, because they already paid for their time, and the soldiers would take off and then the woman would wake up and do the walk of shame out of the orchard. Mm-hmm. So this was apparently really common.
0: Like that was like the lover's lane, so to speak. Yeah. It's a very specific like plan, game plan for the night. All right. So I'm going to take her to this orchard. Bugs won't be a problem. What are you talking about bugs? I'm
1: just imagining like trying to get busy on a bunch of apples on the ground. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make some applesauce. That could be the slang for going to the orchard. Hey, uh, we're going to go make some applesauce. There you go. <laughs> so, and then you get ants and wasps. Anyhow. So this farmhand told his boss, and his boss told the police. The An officer went to check, in the corners, like, I'm going to go with you. Because... Uh, I just feel like there might be a dead body here, actually. So he went, which was good. I, we're going to see that a lot of blood was present on the scene. I don't understand how the farmhand thought she was sleeping. I mean, there's other details too, but that are like, how did he not see that? But even if he missed that, like it had to have been pretty dark, I guess.
1: Well, and I I can explain some of it off. Okay. Because I've thought about that too. So... The body was on the stomach, but also on a slope. Mm. Okay. All right. So there's a chance that he only saw like the legs and from a distance and was like, she almost fell down that hill. She's lucky she didn't. All right, I'll just tell the boss, another one's sleeping it off. He obviously did not see
0: the entire form. That's a good point. That's a good point. And he might have been on the other side of her from where the blood was and not be able to see it on the slope of the hill. Yeah,
1: because I'm thinking, like, it's dawn, maybe a little foggy. You know how foggy it gets here, especially Mm -hmm. in September. So, like, I'm thinking, or no, sorry, this is what, February, Mm -hmm. February. So I'm, I'm thinking that he was at a distance, and there was probably, like, a little bit of fog on the ground still. The sun wasn't the whole way up, and he only saw, like, the outline of mm-hmm. her lower half.
0: Yeah, I'll give him a pass on that. I'm sure he's so grateful that 120-odd years later, I'm like, okay, it's all right. you. You were fine.
1: <laughs> I'm sure that he's so grateful that he did not go investigate himself.
0: Absolutely, yeah, because it was not it was not pretty. And the coroner, when he saw it, he he his name was Robert Tingley, Ting, I think. T i n g e l y, and it's that e that throws me off. I'm like maybe Tingley. I think it's Tingley. I like Tingley. Yeah. I like Tingley. <laughs> so uh, Robert Tingley had no illusions about. Whether the woman was asleep or dead, he saw a men's shirt sleeve near the body, was ripped and bloodstained, and then he saw that she had been beheaded. So that was the giveaway. Uh, She was on her stomach when found, as Amber said. They flipped her over and they found that her top had been pushed up on her chest and her corset was just completely off. It was like two feet away. And so let's talk about the scene, because there was actually quite a bit at the scene for a little while, until there wasn't. So blood was six to nine inches deep in places. Jesus. Uh, So she was definitely killed at the spot where she was found, because if her heart wasn't beating, you wouldn't get that, like, spurt.
1: Yeah, that amount of blood. Mm -hmm.
0: And uh, it also was found... Some blood was found several feet away in the bushes. So, again, heart was beating. And there were estimates of about a pint of blood on the ground by her neck. And that's just in that spot. Now, footprints. There were multiple sets of footprints. And it had rained the day before. And so it was a little muddy, too. Again, don't murder in the mud. I don't know how many times I have to tell you people this. And so from the sheriff's viewpoint, it seemed like the victim had come to the scene with a male, because he saw small, quite small footprints, and then larger ones, and they were walking next to each other, and then she tried to run away, but then obviously was unsuccessful. Although the coroner did note that there was no mud on the the woman's rubbers, which is the... I know, I know, I can't help it. ...outer covering of the shoe. (laughs) And, uh, so it didn't look like she had been walking a lot. So here is from a report on how it happened or, you know, their, their theory of, of, the murder quote, he choked her into silence and dragged her toward the bushy bank. She struggled desperately and he tore handfuls of clothing from her dress. He threw her to the ground and slid over the bank with, he threw her to the ground and slid over the bank with her. He slashed at her throat. She grabbed the blade with her left hand, and it laid her palm and fingers open to the bone. Her struggles were useless, and in a moment, her lifeblood was pouring from a gaping wound in her throat. Men, of course, cut her head off uh, below the fifth vertebrae. The head was not present on the scene, so whoever did this took the head with them. The incision, the coroner thought, showed quote an attempt at a clean disarticulation. Which means probably done by uh, a pro or somebody maybe learning how to do medical stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Damn. Cincinnati is just five miles down the road. So even though this is in another state in Kentucky, detectives were brought in from there. It's the nearest big city. Two of them. But they weren't able to do very much with the site because we had just a flock of looky-loos and rubberneckers who had come not just to look, but also to take. And take they did. They did anything even remotely related to the murder that they could find. Branches with blood spattered on them, leaves, stone, clay. I'm sure some people were just getting handfuls of grass. And so... They even grabbed if they found any of her
1: hair. That was like the prize if you got her hair. That is just
0: gross. And not only because it's like, you know, a person's hair. It's it's gross because it's just so... It's disrespectful to the victim and what's happened here. It's making a game out of it, you know? There's a lot that's gross about that. And it this... They were not going to be stopped. It rained all afternoon and they still were out there souvenir hunting at the murder scene. So meanwhile, there's an autopsy being performed uh, as there was cocaine in her system. She had been hit by a rock wrapped in a handkerchief and, uh, as we said, defensive wounds on the hand. Her finger was cut to the bone as she was trying to fend him off. And then they discovered the pregnancy. The fetus was male, and the doctor believed the quickening had happened. But there's no sign of what the, uh, the banner graphic, a newspaper out in that area, calls, quote, an ill-conceived abortion attempt. Oh, not the place for a pun. Yeah, and I can't tell if the wording is on purpose or not. I really can't. Uh, But just the fact that they used the word abortion is surprising there. That shocked me. That was probably the one case where I saw it. (laughs) Probably that's why it got my attention, because I was like, oh my gosh, they actually used the word. Oh, no. The world's worst dad joke. Oh, my gosh. So, in a statement made to the press, the doctor who did the autopsy, Dr. Robert Carruthers, said... I judged that it was a premeditated and cold-blooded murder. The girl is, in my opinion, was from the country and comparatively innocent. She was brought to Cincinnati to submit to a criminal operation. Once here, she was taken to Fort Thomas and murdered. The head has been taken away, horrible as it may seem, merely to prevent the identification of her body. Which I think is probably accurate. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Almost like somebody knows some methods that they might use to identify the body if the head is present. And, oh, I don't know the teeth? hmm So they had no idea who the victim was, where she came from, and so they brought in some bloodhounds. They lost the scent at the reservoir. Uh, Schechter in his book calls it the Covington Reservoir, but as far as I can tell, it's likely the Newport Reservoir, which is about five-ish miles from the scene. The only reservoir currently named Covington is in Georgia, so that was a little bit of a haul. <sighs> Those dogs didn't go that far. The police had the reservoir drained, not cheap. They still didn't find anything. So they looked to the victim to give silent testimony as to her identity. Her clothes were handmade, which kind of hampered efforts because there's nothing, you know, it, it's distinctive in it's, that it's not manufactured. But you can't trace that.
1: Yeah, it's hard to track down.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, you know, they use this thread (laughs) from this store. No, it's not going to happen. Almost never. But her shoes were not homemade. They were size three shoes. I don't know how sizes worked back then, but that was said to be very, very small. Today, it's definitely... I don't think I've ever actually seen size three shoes in the store in women's.
1: Yeah, so I, I think the sizes are much different because I saw a more modern article refer to them as number eight shoes. Oh, okay. So I think the sizes are a lot different now than they used to be. Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, I would, one would think, and, you know, we like to change that stuff up just for funsies, I guess. Um, but they were new and factory made. So they had the manufacturer's name as well as a serial number on them. The detectives used those to find where the shoes had been purchased, which led them to Pearl Bryan's family's doorstep. They told the family what they discovered and the family really, as you would expect, did not want to believe this. I mean, last they knew she was in Indianapolis. How could she have anything to do with a murder in Kentucky? But the detectives told them some of the physical attributes of the body that were pretty unique. uh, Webbed feet. And then also a wart. And they could no longer deny it. See, this is why I'm glad tattoos for women are less frowned upon than they used to be. My body ever shows up anywhere sans head? Uh, You have several tattoos you can use to identify me. Right, yeah. Shouldn't take too long. So... And um, this is the first time in the newspapers after the the body is identified and you have accounts of her getting into trouble, as they put it, but these mentions are not of her getting into trouble with Scott Jackson. They are of her getting into trouble with her cousin, Will Wood. Yeah, there was... um...
1: A few articles that suggested that her and Will were closer than cousins should be.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was mentioned in several places. And um, some of the stuff that comes out later, I kind of believe it. I don't know for sure, but I I kind of believe it. So we got some uh, possible cousin-on-cousin action here. Le Cousin dangereux, to make a very old arrested development reference. So they managed to get kind of the skinny on who she'd been around and who she'd been involved with recently. And so they went to talk to Scott Jackson. They searched his room. They found several of her handkerchiefs as well as her pocketbook uh, in a trunk with his initials on it that was found in his room. They found two pairs of white kid gloves. And so, four days after the body was discovered, Scott Jackson was arrested, along with his dental school roommate, Alonzo Walling. Will Wood was arrested at first, too, but it was said the information they had on him was pretty shaky, enough to let him out on a $5,000 bond, which is $180,000 today. Rich family, though. Yeah, I know. They put... Scott Jackson and Walling in what they called a sensitive cell, which seems like one set up for eavesdropping. Quote, there were instruments in the house of detention where persons could sit and listen to the voices in the sensitive cell. And so the discussion that the two had together seemed to reference maybe a possible escape attempt, but vaguely. And Scott Jackson told Walling, quote, you have played your part well. Both of them, it ended up, they tried to pin it on the other. And uh, this, this has, it's ridiculous. The string of confessions that we're about to have. So Scott Jackson said that Walling was going to give Pearl an abortion, but then just decided to kill her. Or the abortion went wrong and he killed her. And then took the body to Fort Thomas and beheaded her. He said that his only participation in this crime had been throwing out what the newspaper called Pearl's, quote, surplus wearing apparel. Extra close. They just got to, they really got to use as many words as possible. So then Walling confessed to a reporter saying that Scott Jackson had killed Pearl with an injection of prussic acid and that Scott Jackson had buried the head somewhere in Cincinnati. And then for some reason, Walling confessed to the mayor, who is a lot more hands-on in this case than you expect, saying that uh, Scott Jackson gave Pearl four grains of cocaine in 16 drops of water and drove her to Fort Thomas, where he cut off her head. Closer, we're getting closer to the truth as it was portrayed in the trial. And this is all within like 36 to 48 hours of them being arrested they're just confessing every which way yeah like at first they're
1: like we're just gonna stick with our stories it's fine and then they're like nope 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 I want a shorter sentence so I'll tell you
0: everything and I almost wonder if another possible bonus if not the reason for doing it was to muddy the waters like very well could be yeah the more stories you tell the harder it is for somebody to pick out which one's true
1: yeah or insanity defense too oh yeah
0: there you go yeah Oh, uh, they could be working a lot harder for the insanity defense. You gotta work yeah, mar- you gotta get up earlier in the morning, dudes.
1: Nobody's barking like dogs or talking to people that aren't there yet.
0: So. Yeah, we don't have the devil telling anyone to do it. So then Scott Jackson, he made another confession to the secretary of the YMCA. Okay. I don't know what's happening now. And in that confession, he says that he was just the means of getting to Pearl to Cincinnati for the procedure. Then Walling was going to perform it. Then Will Wood would send Scott Jackson fifty dollars for the procedure, who would then pass it on to Walling for payment. That's uh, one thousand eight hundred twenty dollars today. And so, you now that now he's pulling Will Wood into it. He's trying to cast doubt over here, over there. Scott Jackson did write a letter to Will Wood, but the mayor, again, the mayor, had orders for any communication from Scott Jackson to be rerouted to him personally. He is very involved in this. He's, he's a hands-on kind of dude, apparently. I'm surprised he didn't perform the damn autopsy. So when he got the letter, he summoned Scott Jackson's attorney and with his consent, opened it. It was dated February 5th, 8.30 p.m. That was the day of their arrest, but two hours prior to it. And it was uh, on letter paper that had the letterhead of a local hotel. And here's what it said. Hello, Bill. Write a letter home, signed by Bert's name, telling the folks that he is somewhere and going to Chicago or some other place, has a position, etc., and that they will advise later about it. Say, tired of living at home and, or anything you want. You know about the way he writes. Send it to someone you can trust. Tell the folks that he has not been at, but Indiana, or sorry, I'm just going to read it as it's written, at I, but at Lafayette. And traveling about the country, get the letter off without one second's delay. And burn this at once. Stick by your old chum, Bill. And I will help you out the same way or some other way. Sometime. I'm glad you were having a good time. D. And then it, he says, be careful what you write me. So you notice, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this letter, you're like, okay. Talking about some dude named Bert. He's using the pronoun he. So what does this have to do with Pearl Bryan? Bert... Was their code for Pearl Bryan. And he did things like, you know, when he said I, that stood for Indianapolis. So he, uh, like, shortened names to get it a little bit, you know, make it a little bit more confusing. He signed it D because apparently Scott Jackson's nickname was actually... Dildo? <laughs> good one, good one, good one. Um, but, eh, all right, what's your next guess? Dickhead. And. Eh. Dumbass? Daisy.
1: His nickname was Daisy. His nickname
0: was Daisy. Okay. Dumbass would be appropriate, though, because the whole pronoun switch that he did, you could tell that Scott Jackson had written she and then erased it. (laughs) He's really good at writing in code. He's really, really good at this. He should be a spy. They also, in an attempt to elicit a confession that was... You know, solid and not completely conflicting with some of the evidence from the scene or some of the actual events, they uh, brought Scott Jackson and Alonzo Walling in to view the body. Pearl's sister was there, got down on her knees and begged them to tell her where the head was. They refused. The family did put her in a vault at first because they were holding out hope that the head would be found But by the end of March, they recognized that that was getting pretty unlikely, and they buried her in the family plot. The police did get a confession from a Miss Hollingsworth that Pearl had arranged to get, quote, certain drugs for the purpose of getting rid of her burden and also advised the purchase of an instrument. I don't think they mean a clarinet. Nope. Not a clarinet. No, no, I did actually read the description. And uh, I was considering, I'm not going to say it here because I'm still uh, traumatized, but uh, I was considering screenshotting it and sending it to you and just being like, if I have to see it, so do you. Was it the snook hook? <laughs> oh, it was kind of close. <laughs> oh, it was bad. It was bad. It was bad. So anyhow, supposedly they popped into a hotel in Indianapolis for a few minutes, did the operation, then waltzed out, and Pearl just got on the train to Cincinnati according to this Hollinsworth woman. She said that Walling had recruited her for this. The story? Yeah, I believe that. Right? More muddy waters, right? And I, I go back and forth on this. She apparently had some knowledge of the murder due to a few details that she was able to give the detectives that matched up with what happened, like how they transported Pearl in a cab across the river. Although in her version, the cabbie did all the beheading. Now she's trying to throw it at him. And so there is that. But then the fact that she said she actually performed the procedure, the autopsy found no sign of a procedure. Did they miss it? Because obviously it was unsuccessful. The child was, the the, the fetus was still alive. The fetus was still alive
1: at the time of of death. But also it was determined that she was not ravaged in any way. Mm Mm-hmm. So there was no procedure. I can believe that cuz even if the procedure was unsuccessful, there would still be signs of trauma mm-hmm. of digging around in there and trying to get something out. Mm. So I would say that it was never performed.
0: I'm thinking about telling you about that instrument just um as retribution for that phrasing, <laughs> which uh made every part of me cringe. <laughs> but uh I'll save my revenge. <laughs> Best served cold. Yeah. So this woman did have a letter from Scott Jackson a few days after the murder that the police were able to read. Saying that, quote, he was in frightful trouble because Miss Bryan had died in his rooms. And that he was compelled to secrete the body and mutilate it in order to escape responsibility for his share in it. The letter cautioned Miss Hollingsworth that mums the word. Oh, yes, let's get cutesy now. We're talking about a murder. Mum's the word. Now, the valise. Let's talk about the valise for a minute. Scott Jackson had left it at the saloon. For some reason, he then came back, retrieved it, and then brought it to the saloon again. He was just kind of using it as sort of a storage area, just in the saloon. When that was found, there was blood in it. And that was Pearl's valise. So there are many ideas about this case that her head was transported in the valise. Yes,
1: and I believe that was actually one of the confessions at some point that Jackson had carried the head in that valise to the Covington Suspension Bridge and tossed it into the Ohio River.
0: Bad Jackson. Bad.
1: Bad Jackson.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing about their confessions is that they managed to put everything but the kitchen sink in there. Yeah. And so any scenario is bound to pop up somewhere. (laughs) So it
1: was really like they would confess one thing. The other one would hear it and then like try to like change that confession or one up it. Yeah. So Jackson says that and then Walling is like, no, Jackson threw it in a sewer.
0: And it seems like. That valise is a really strong case for holding the head because there's also the account uh, from Dot Legner, a barmaid, 18, who uh, on the first night that the valise was there, she was cleaning, so she picked up the valise so that she could clean the floor underneath and was surprised at how heavy it was. She did the same thing the next night and was surprised at how light it was. With head, without head. And, you know, we don't know what was in it because she didn't look in the bag, but I'm glad for her that she didn't. Again, this is somebody being spared seeing something that would stay with them forever.
1: So the human head, now I don't know if I remember this right, I want to say the human head is like 8 to 10 pounds.
0: Yeah, that sounds right to me.
1: I don't know where they they cut it to see... But we'll we'll say it's 10 pounds, but 10 pounds in a bag is heavier than you would expect it to be. Yeah,
0: yeah, certainly.
1: Like imagine a good couple of books in there. Mm -hmm. That'd be a heavy sucker in a bag.
0: Mm -hmm. And in a nice, like solidly constructed valise satchel. So um, that valise, by the way, as of 2017, was still held in evidence in Campbell County. So, uh, last we heard of it was five years ago. They're not doing daily updates on, you know, whether or not they still have the police. So that's, that's our most recent word. Now, another girl, unnamed, comes forward with a story about how she was close with both Scott Jackson and Alonzo Walling. And that Scott Jackson had told her he intended to, quote, put Pearl Bryan out of the way, end quote. And when she said, that's a really bad idea, don't do that. He said, I love it when they say this, that he was too smart to get caught. Mm-hmm. Dude, you lasted four days. That's and even it. then,
1: I think they already knew it was him. Like,
0: yeah, this was. They just had
1: to identify the victim.
0: So, yeah, it is. Uh, God, I love it when they say that. So his trial comes along. It is in late April, 1896. That's about two months after the murder. We get the jurors' names, but thankfully not their occupations, home addresses, you know, the family members' names, favorite positions in bed, the stuff they love to print in the paper. As soon as the jury was sworn in, they brought in what they called a lay figure, which I believe is like a mannequin, from the clerk's office wearing the clothing that Pearl Bryan had been found in. This from the Jackson County banner, quote, The garment was a gruesome sight, covered as it was, in part with the stains of mud and blood. Especially was the bodice stained heavily. Hindman placed the figure erect near attorney Lockhart's direction and retired. Attorney Crawford sprang to his feet. I object, said he, to such a display in this court. The judge agreed, saying the figure was too suggestive. So they took the mannequin and left the bloody dress. They were like, all right, well, we'll take the non-bloody part. There you go. They had her sister identify the items as well as the valise and her shoes and her hat. They had testimony from a druggist from Pearl's hometown who said he'd sold her the pocketbook that had been found in Scott Jackson's valise. And he'd sold it just the previous week, so it seems like she was going and she bought new shoes, she bought a new pocketbook, she was getting ready for her travels. An acquaintance of Scott Jackson's and Wallings testified to having been present when the two of them were talking about the effect of cocaine, only about 10 days before the murder. And uh, even more damning, another druggist testified that he had sold Scott Jackson cocaine a few days before the murder. The porter at the saloon where they had last been seen testified that he had seen Scott Jackson there the day of the murder with a woman wearing clothing similar to what Pearl had been wearing. Scott Jackson and the woman left in a cab. And uh, he stated that the woman was not generally uh, of the class that would visit the saloon. S- uh, she very much is frequently referred to as very kind of countrified. And uh, there, there's a little bit of a, from some of these city papers, there's a little bit of a sneer. They're almost like... There really is. Yeah, they're this close to calling her a country bumpkin.
1: Yeah, because like even her dress was, was handmade and it they referred to her as shabbily dressed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if you're not a handmade dress, like how is that shabby? But I guess to them, like to the the big city folks, Mm -hmm. that's like, that's shabby, I guess.
0: Yeah, I was just loving how they got like fashion snobby for like a dead woman, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Like, guess it's a good thing her hair is gone so that, you know, along with her head so they can't criticize that too. Uh, this same porter also testified that uh, the defense attorney had tried to give him a little something in exchange for not testifying. Witness tampering. There it is. The doctor who did the stomach contents test talked about that part of the investigation, and that got interesting. The doctor... St- Oh, God. The doctor stated he made a number of tests which corroborated each other and showed cocaine present in the stomach. He tasted the crystals, and his tongue was numbed. Oh, my God. He tried it on the eye of a rabbit. The cornea was <laughs> enlarged. Go ahead. No,
1: I'm sorry. Why would you put it in your mouth? Like
0: <laughs> That was the very first thing, apparently. Is this a hot dog? <laughs> like, what? eh, eh. Yep. Eh. It's, it's one thing to... Think something might be poison and then put it in your mouth, as we've seen in, in various cases. It's a whole nother thing when that thing is stomach contents. No. Stop it. No. No. Nope. <laughs> like, uh, I don't even.
1: <laughs> I think this is cocaine. Let me lick it.
0: I think these stomach contents have cocaine in them. These This food that has been digesting in oh. somebody's butt. Yeah, it's, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. Uh, he tried- I think I'm about to show you my stomach contents. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is so gross. It is horrifying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, tried the, he tried it on the eye of a rabbit. The cornea was enlarged, and he touched the cornea several times to match... Several times with a match without sensation. Ordinarily, the cornea is extremely sensitive to the touch. Yes, I know this, because...
1: And also, okay, what the hell? Why are you torturing that poor bunny? Well, because he's hopped up on stomach contents coke. (laughs) It's like I gotta do something. I kept poking it in the eye. I didn't (laughs) even feel it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I love the sheer, I don't even know what it is, the who the fuck cares of it all. Just do whatever pops into your head. This seems
1: like a good idea, but now that bunny is blind in that eye for the rest of their life because you y- uh, hopped it up on Coke and then poked it in the eyeball seven different times with a match. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't specify if it was lit or not. I wouldn't at all be surprised if this jerk just like lit it and put it out in the eyeball. <laughs>
0: he's, he's really on his way to that, yes. He said that he did not believe the cocaine was used to induce, quote, a criminal operation. He had only seen that done twice, and in both cases it failed. Although, if a criminal operation was performed here, it failed here too. So, that doesn't really disqualify it, in my mind at least.
1: No, I agree with that.
0: So, Will Wood took the stand. And, uh, oh, by the way, in addition to being cousin to Pearl... And good friend to Scott Jackson, he's also a minister's son. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So he talked about Jackson's uh, Pearl, Scott Jackson's acquaintance with Pearl Bryan, and uh, about his statement apparently that he had given to several people that he had sustained illicit relations with her. Sex. She. He had sexed her. He had sexed her. <laughs> yeah. So, Will Wood said that after Scott Jackson left Greencastle, um, Scott Jackson wrote to Will Wood enclosing the prescription for a medicine intended to produce an abortion. Um, Instead of having the prescription filled, he just gave it to Pearl. Instead of actually going and getting this item... He gave the prescription to her and uh, he admitted that he knew Pearl was going to Cincinnati to, quote, escape the consequences of her shame. And he talked about the letter, uh, one letter that Jackson had given to him, the one that he received on February 5th, 40th after the murder, and uh, said, uh, I've made a big mistake. I want you to stand by me. And then he added that it went on in a raving manner. Uh, Some of these letters were deemed, literally the paper said, you know, these letters aren't printable. (sighs) They're unprintable in the paper. So I don't know what was in them, but it was pretty severe, I guess. I don't know. It was a bit much. And so uh, then there is the bombshell where the defense confronted him with statements about him boasting of his relations with Pearl He asked him if he had not admitted to William J. Groom that he had a girl in trouble. He asked him, he, the first he, the person questioning here is, of course, the defense attorney, just to clarify, because it's just pronouns scattered everywhere. He asked him if he had not boasted of his relations with Pearl Bryan in a conversation with Edward Hunt in Minneapolis. He asked him if he had not told Homer Newhouse that on one occasion, when the Bryans were away, he had found Pearl alone and in bed and had occupied the room with her. There were more questions of a similar import. To all of them, Wood replied positively in the negative. Yeah, no. I think yeah, no. Yeah, no was what he said. But it seems like if he wasn't sexing he was running around telling everybody he was sexing Which, why are you proud of this dude? Why are you proud? She she was a very desirable woman, though,
1: especially in, in the country. Like, I know they keep referring to her as, like, shabby, but she was very pretty, very
0: lovable. Lots of guys were interested in her.
1: Lots yeah. of guys were interested in her, and he easily could have been, like, because they were probably, like, best friends since diapers.
0: And so he's like, yeah, I'm hitting that. I'm hitting that. Somehow the best friends since diapers makes it worse, not better. Yeah, it makes it creepier. <laughs> yeah.
1: Her parents were away, and I was in her room, and she was in bed. Yep. <sighs> she was asleep and had no idea I was there, but I was there. <laughs> I was there.
0: It looks like Scott Jackson's lawyers are trying to pin the murder on Wood, or at least create reasonable doubt, but he has a decent alibi. He was out of town at Plymouth, Indiana, visiting people Friday to Monday, and then they also had letters he'd written to Scott Jackson during that time. So placing him elsewhere. These were the letters that were called unprintable and obscene. Um, even Scott Jackson said that Will's letters to him were obscene so much so that he had burned all but two before, before there was even a murder to talk about. He wasn't burning them because they were, you know, showed his culpability. He was burning him because he was like, ew, gross, dude. What is wrong with you? Right? And Willwood also said Scott Jackson had the most degrading influence over him since he was 17 years old and that he would always do what Scott Jackson told him. So... I'm thinking there's some butt stuff in here. <laughs> I wonder, honestly. Then we get one of my favorite things. If you're dumb enough to say, I can murder someone, they won't catch me. You're dumb enough to take the stand. So he takes it, gives them his life story, admits uh, stuff like, you know, embezzling money. Um, he does say he was discharged from his clerkship for being on intimate terms with the chief clerk. I thought that I don't I don't know what they're euphemizing here. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking his door was swinging both ways. I'm thinking you might be right. Yeah. He also tells the story of meeting Pearl and, again, pulls Will Wood into it. He said, actually, in September 1895, so this would have been maybe like a month or two before she got pregnant, um, Will Wood was trying to push Pearl onto him, saying, in regards to her saying, it's a good thing. And apparently that was really strong innuendo because Scott Jackson's reply, according to him, was, why do you want to talk that way about your cousin?" So he's like, dude, why are you talking like that about your cousin? Your cousin. Something like that.
1: Well, they're second cousins. So according to this chart that I found online, totally okay.
0: Still not cool. (laughs) So he also admitted that he, quote, criminally knew Pearl Bryan at her home on two occasions. Will kept on sending him letters asking her to get her out of trouble Four or five before he finally sent her some stuff. So even after he admits that he was with Pearl, but then he immediately turns it around and tries to throw it back at Will Wood. He's like, oh, well, yeah, I was with her, but he was begging me for something to give her an abortion. So I think that he really knocked her up. It's kind of the, I think, idea we're supposed to get from that. Ideally for him.
1: Or at least cast doubt that there could have been a different baby daddy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, he insisted that the last time he saw Pearl was after dropping her off with Walling for the operation, just two days before the murder. And then the night of the murder, Walling came back to their room and was frantic and recruited him to help get rid of the evidence. But that was it. That was I hadn't seen her for days. And uh, they confronted him about the bloody bag. And uh, he said, oh, well, yeah, I carry my dental instruments around.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, first of all, that's her bag. So why are you carrying your dental instruments in her bag? And why are you not washing them? Yeah, that was what the prosecution asked. They said, Do you, don't you wipe them off for crying out loud? I was like, so say we all. No, I think you. there was a head in there. But he insisted that Walling put the head in the valise and said in court... When asked what they did with the head, he said they cut the head up in pieces and then threw it away. I'm rolling my eyes, but it doesn't translate over. <laughs> Do you know how hard it would be to cut a head into pieces? Yeah, I don't understand what's happening there or why. Like, it just seems like a weird thing to say. Oh, and for some reason, they made Scott Jackson hold the valise in his lap while they were questioning him. It's like, why? Okay. Okay. So then it was time for closing arguments, which does not mean that this is over anytime soon because the defense attorney's closing argument was eight or nine hours over two days. Wow. Yes. And uh, then again, some more weirdness. The Commonwealth's attorney took his turn, but at first he received a bouquet of roses from some couple, L.D. Pook and wife. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's happening. why why are they pretending he's like Miss America or something? <laughs> like what's he's happening doing here? the wave? <laughs> he's got a tiara on and everything. <laughs> Sash. He promised that he, quote, would not consume so much time as did the gentleman for the defense. Uh he only took about five hours. So that's a cumulative 13 to 14 hours. Of closing arguments. Yes, yes. The trial, all told, took about three weeks. Now, the jury kind of had a lot to think about here because they had several options that they could go with, all with different end results. Uh, there was murder, but voluntary manslaughter if they thought he'd used an abortion drug on her, but not with any intent to injure or kill, and if they believed He thought she was dead when he cut her throat. That would give him two to 21 years in the penitentiary.
1: I think the evidence, though, speaks for itself. When she was walking and then struggling and then her hand was cut to the bone in defensive wounds. How can you say that I thought she was dead? Yeah, I'm
0: not sure why that was even an option, to be honest. Uh, They're just hoping that the jury is like stupid and forgets that piece. Yeah, probably the defense argued to have that be one of the options um, in in hopes that maybe the, the jury would think that way. Then involuntary manslaughter, if they believed he cut her throat because he thought she was dead, not to kill her, but to conceal her identification. Also ruled out by the evidence. Yes, and involuntary, the punishment for that would be a fine and or imprisonment in the county jail. Unless they believed he had abetted her in an abortion, in which case it was back to voluntary manslaughter. And then, of course, there's murder, 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 um, for which the uh, penalty is uh, either life in prison or death. How long did the jury deliberate? Mm, hour and 10 minutes. Two hours, 11 minutes. Okay. Just needed to add one to each number. <laughs> so he was found guilty of murder. Uh, there, a few people applauded, and there was a murmur of approval, but they, they had to kind of keep it down because the bailiff had already said, like, no displays, everybody keep quiet. Uh, Scott Jackson didn't really show any feeling. The paper said he, quote, did not even let an eyelid quiver. Kind of started crying when he got out of there, though. And the sentence was death. He had some appeals. At one court session, he strutted in, jauntily smoking a cigar. So smarmy, I think we agree. Yeah, yeah, smarmy. Yeah. His request for a new trial was denied that day, and he was once again sentenced to death. Walling's trial was going on around that time, because they did him separately. He's all smiles. He's saying, he's sure, he'll be acquitted. Uh, this time, when they choose the jury and publish it in the paper, we do get their occupations. So it's delightfully old-timey. A bricklayer, a porter, a founder, a bookkeeper, a cigar maker, teamster, rope maker, saloon keeper, motorman, carpenter, and boilermaker. There you go. I love that they're all makers. Yeah, there's a lot of makers, a couple layers, some keepers. So uh, the two sides agree to abridge a bunch of the information from the Scott Jackson trial in the interest of having a speedy trial. That seems weird to me. They're like, yeah, we'll just cut a whole bunch of information out. Like, I guess, like, not including stuff that's not germane to Walling. But if he was with Scott Scott Jackson all the time, the whole time this happened, then it seems a lot of it would apply to him, too. But I don't know. Uh, There is a new witness who her home was near the Licking River, which, yes. That is my favorite vacation spot now. (laughs) Never been. (laughs) gonna go, gonna go a lot. And uh, so this man was running toward the Licking River the night of the murder, took a breather under her window. This is what she reported, quote, I heard him say, if I don't go, they will catch me, sure. I thought someone was chasing him, and I became very much alarmed. I looked out the window and said, yes, they will catch you if you don't hurry. As soon as I said that, he started to run again as hard as he could. I find that exchange hilarious. That is pretty funny. I love that he's, like, talking to himself outside her window, and she just pops her head out, and she's like, I agree. Go the hell away. <laughs> but in old-timey talk. Then. You should run faster. <laughs> yes. They're gonna catch you. So the sheriff has to testify so he can't be involved with the jury. So the deputy deputy sheriff takes over for him, and the newspaper says the deputy sheriff will be sleeping with the jury. <laughs> Brown chicken, brown cow. I am like, this is, uh, this is, is this like a case on Cinemax? <laughs> like it starts off with a court case and then ends up with an orgy <laughs> with the, the jury yeah. and the deputy sheriff. <laughs> I feel like the deputy sheriff is
1: probably going to be like, if they're all in a hotel, staying at the hotel. No,
0: I agree with you, but uh, the phrasing in, from is my, amazing. Yes, the phrasing is amazing from my modern perspective. Walling also takes the stand. He says he knew Scott Jackson from dental school. They weren't companions. And he's just contradictory all over the place. He says all that, but then he says, yeah, I did pass some messages to Pearl. I hung out at the saloon with her and Scott Jackson. Also, as uh, the prosecuting attorney brings up, he and Scott Jackson are not just roommates. They sleep in the same bed. There's only one bed in these rooms. So they share a damn bed, (laughs) which was not unusual back then. That was most hotels a lot of them you could expect to be sharing a room with somebody.
1: Which is why there's a women's hostel instead of, like... Yes. Yeah. Can't have both sexes in the same room? Well, can you imagine how, how awful that would be, though, if you were a woman and you get a hotel room and then all of a sudden some man comes in and be like, Yes, we're sharing a bed tonight, baby. Like that would be really awkward.
0: Oh no, that would be a that would be a big fat no for me. I'd be I'd be out. I'd be gone.
1: It would be really awkward for me too if a strange woman came in and said I guess I'm sharing a bed with you tonight, but it would be a little more comfortable I think than sharing with a someone of the opposite sex.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Yeah.
1: And now the men, the men folk might uh argue that that they would be more comfortable with a lady than with another
0: dude. Yeah, I think it can go both ways and it also might depend on you know how where you stand, you know, on the, yeah. like, gender.
1: Well, and I think Scott Jackson can go both ways, too. So he was probably totally fine with sharing his bed.
0: Yeah, I don't think he had a problem with uh, with sharing his bed. And thank you for using his full name in that particular sentence. <laughs> much, much appreciated. Just for you. <laughs> I'm glad I spared you my revenge. <laughs> I'm still on your good side. Because <laughs> you don't want to hear that instrument. Oh, it's not nearly as pleasant as a flute. So, um, I still play the flute. All right, continuing on. <laughs> continuing on. There's really not much new here. Even the papers say that. And the papers also say that even the jurors look bored and the, it's really sparsely attended. The defense does long closing arguments again. And uh, they actually deliberate a little bit longer, maybe five to six hours. And they come back with a guilty verdict for which the penalty is death. And as we know, in old-timey times, it was not unusual for this to happen fairly quickly. It actually took a little less time than I'm used to. It was March of the following year that the executions occurred on the same day. And uh, in the press, this comes with a healthy dose of victim blaming and uh, victim's family blaming. Quote, had Pearl O'Brien heeded the teachings of her Christian parents and not allowed herself to be lured into sin by human fiends, The pages of history would never have been darkened by this tragedy, the seeds of which were sown, perhaps, under the very roofs of indulgent parents. The lessons to be learned are far more reaching than the mere execution of criminals. Parents should be more zealous in training their children. Daughters should ever shun the society of a young man whose moral character is not of the highest standard, and sons should turn aside from the paths which led Jackson and Walling to the gallows. The wages of sin is death. That's from the Jackson County banner. Not at all being dickwads there.
1: So I'm I'm going to go ahead and just call total bullshit on this. And I, I think we can all agree that it's not cool to blame the victim. But there were actually descriptions of Jackson from people that knew him before. Back when he was arrested for embezzlement. Mm-hmm. Referring to him as a demon in human form. And that he was completely incapable of any sort of remorse
0: for anything. But the thing is that those people didn't learn it just from walking past him on the street. They learned it after harsh experience with him. No, absolutely. That they regretted.
1: Absolutely. But, like, I just want to throw that out there so that they're not, like, the, the people that wrote these articles knew none of the people involved. Yeah. They've never spoken or gotten to know any of the people. And they're like, well, it's easy to pick on the dead one.
0: Yeah, it's also a lot of confirmation bias. Like, if I just lay out all the things that went wrong here and I avoid them myself, I'll be fine. If I am moral and Christian and don't, you know, take the path that they took, you know, nothing bad will ever happen to me and I'll be fine. This only happened to them because they failed to follow those rules in one respect or another. It's that it's that idea, you know, like, it's, know. it's kind of, in addition to just, like, general shaming for the fun of it, it's- um, Oh, that's what Catholics do. I went to Catholic school, I know that. Yeah, well, in addition to that, there's like, you could almost say, you know, what was she wearing, is kind of, depending on the source, can be a sort of confirmation bias. Because it's just like, oh, well, if I just don't wear a short
1: skirt... We still do that
0: today. We, we still, yeah. still do that today. Yeah. What was she wearing? Exactly. And it's a sort of, okay, well, what rule did she break that I just arbitrarily have assigned to humanity um, in order to invite this badness upon her? Because bad things can only happen to bad people. I'm a good person, ergo, no bad things will happen to me. Yay! Everything's wonderful and pretty. So, yeah, it's just a whole big thing of... It's like, try to be intellectually honest with yourself, you know? (laughs) But people don't even recognize they're doing it. So the execution um, is on March 22nd, 1897. We have a message from Alonzo Walling's fiancé. They had become engaged before his arrest. So before he was known to be possibly involved in a murder. She sent him a message. Die game. That's, you could be, I mean, I'm I'm faulting the newspapers for using too many words, but this seems like not enough. Yeah, that's all it said? That's what the newspapers reported. Die game. As in like, you know, like, are you game? Are you good for it? Are you, are you up for it? So kind of like, be be a good sport about your dying. Be a good sport. Die like a sport, sport. Right? <laughs> so... Uh, Walling was really trying to get this all straightened out and, uh, avoid the gallows. He got a meeting with the mayor, even though this was against the rules. And this is all in the governor's hands. Anyhow, Walling said to him, quote, Jackson can save my life if he will, but he won't. I have tried in every way to get him to do it, but he will not. He ought to save me. Now, Scott Jackson did make a statement clearing Walling. Everyone seemed to believe it. And then they gave Scott Jackson five minutes alone to think it over. Big mistake. Because at the end of that, he, he said, oh, I can't say if he's innocent. He had the opportunity. Did it. Actually had everybody believing it. And then was like, mm, no, that was incorrect. So regardless,
1: Walling was there. He, he was on the like the, the taxi ride to the murder scene He was there. He was at least an accomplice.
0: But should an accomplice hang?
1: Well, he could have told the truth and he didn't. True. True. Or he kind of did. Did he? We don't know which of his confessions might be true. (laughs) Exactly. So, like, you can't say that he helped the investigation at all. He didn't help anyone find poor Pearl's head. True. So that her family could at least get a little tiny bit of peace.
0: Oh, I feel like there's a possibility that if if he could have used that to avoid the gallows, he would have. I don't think he could. I don't think he knew what happened to it. Or I think he... He
1: He either didn't know or he knew that it was somewhere that they would never find it, get it back, it was destroyed, whatever. So he just didn't tell
0: them. Mm -hmm. Or he
1: did. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, true. If he was truly innocent and was like... I did not go here for for the murder, and then he murdered him, and I didn't say anything because I didn't want to be murdered. Okay, fine, but tell the police what happened. Tell them where to find Pearl's head. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I feel like had he done those things to prove himself to be a decent human being, then he would not have been in this situation.
0: I agree with that. If they were possible, if he could have done them, he should have. Uh, His last words were, that man can save me if you will. I am, die an innocent man. I was not there when she was killed. That's what he says. So to the gallows they went, and it was not pretty. I mean, it never is, but these were not quick exits. The traps were sprung. Neither's neck broke. Uh, Walling took 15 minutes to be pronounced dead, and Scott Jackson took 21 minutes. So... um, Karma is a bitch. It is a bitch, yeah, yeah. Walling was buried, but Scott Jackson was cremated because of specific concerns. Various parties had offered his mother large sums of money for her son's dead body. There was also a fear of grave robbery, you know, for souvenirs. Yes. Um, We've already seen what people will do for souvenirs, so... Mm -hmm. Now, there have been... Times when they thought they found her head. In 1901, uh, a boatman was... Sorry, 1900. A boatman was digging for coal on a sandbar, and he found a skull. They thought it was hers, but that was disproved. The teeth and dental work were not a match, according to her father. She had six gold fillings and eight to ten cement fillings. The skull that had been found had a mouth plate with two false teeth. Not a match. Another skull found in 1907... That was also disproved. I'm surprised there haven't been more, to be honest.
1: Well, the rest probably had, like, the rest of the body with it.
0: Yeah, there you go. So in 2017, Putnam County historian Larry Tippins said he didn't think either of the men would have thrown the skull off the bridge. Quote, there's too much traffic and too many people that would have seen him. So his thought is at least it didn't go over the bridge. Um, I mean, there's a million places they could have put it. So, um,
1: I feel like one of the more common um scenarios that that they are leaning towards is they cremated the head because I guess there was some sort
0: of incinerator in the basement, and that yeah. had been one of the ideas that he'd come up with just the rest of her body was included there as well. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a decent chance that that happened, yeah and there is a murder ballad written or many murder ballads many, Sorry, many. many murder ballads this has kind of become this case has become a part of our sort of co- Cultural lore. And I'm just gonna read the last two stanzas of the one that uh Harold Schechter said was kind of the most well known. And um I hate it. I hate it. So uh come along with me on this journey of hatred. But Jackson, I forgive you, with my last and dying breaths. Her pulse had ceased its beating, her eyes were closed in death. The birds sang in the morning, but doleful were their songs. A stranger found Pearl Bryan, cold, headless, on the ground. Rhyme scheme aside, and it's faulty, with her last and dying breaths, she forgives him. Nope, 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 nope. I know she's a, like a nice, sweet girl and everything, but I'm sorry, that is not where your brain is at that moment. Nope, not at all. I am, ups- that upsets me. Um, I think that sometimes things like murder ballads can be a way to for society to be less discomforted and disturbed by like the grim specter of a brutal, senseless, violent death like we see here. But they can just, some of the older ones, they can be so cringy and they have this insistence on a pat ending in a case where you just don't have a pat ending. Nope. I mean, no. And I hate it because it, this, in this case, it places the burden on the victim to be a saint. You know, you have to be the kind of person who would forgive their murderer for murdering them while they're being murdered.
1: Yeah. So it
0: feels really really unfair. I mean, I it, I think they they do this to try to kind of cover over the whole oh she had sex out of wedlock and got pregnant thing, so they have to like overcorrect in the other direction. You have to be like, oh, no, no. But she was a human angel. She glowed. She had wings and a halo. You know what? She was a human being. She was human. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then in modern lore, we have the idea that has uh, been on t- television many times. That uh, Pearl's Ghost is one of several that haunts Bobby Mackey's music world in Wilder, Kentucky. Now, people who believe this think that the reason is that Scott Jackson put the head down a well there. Now, it's only about a uh, 4 minutes drive nowadays with modern traffic from the murder scene to that location. About a one-hour and 15-minute walk. There's no evidence that they did that?
1: Well, there's also a second theory that Alonzo used the head to uh, do some satanic rituals there. Mm.
0: Yes, that does come up. Yeah, the or that they gave it to somebody to use for satanic rituals. There's like 17 different, yeah. different stories there. and that became there.
1: really popular in the satanic panic.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, there's, uh, you know, there were theories that were spawned that Scott Jackson and Walling were satanists. And that they put a curse on the nightclub and swore that they would haunt everyone who prosecuted them. There's there's not one shred of evidence toward this, but there you have it, I guess and so I (laughs) just a little bit of irony that really so there's the Newport Reservoir nearby that could have been a possible location and in fact is the likely area where the bloodhounds lost the scent or that somewhere around the Newport Reservoir we don't know exactly where so that's really the only thing is that uh, uh, there's a location nearby where their scent was picked up that's all we got. Um, but there's a review. There's one single review of the Newport Reservoir on Google. And, um, the reviewer misspelled a word, which led to Google thinking it needed to translate. It thought they were speaking Dutch. So, uh, what's supposed to be great fishing spot is Gratz fishing spot, which in the translation is, um, bone fishing spot. Oh, the irony. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Like, I saw the translation pop up and I was like, why would they say bone fishing spot? And then I figured out that it was probably a typo. So, I don't know. Um, According to one site that had so many inaccuracies I couldn't even name, um, they couldn't tell where the head was because of this whole satanic ritual idea. They would suffer Satan's wrath if they told because it had been part of a satanic ritual. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yes. That that tracks. Yes. It's amazing to me that after over 120 years, there are still legends being made up in our modern age and repeated about this murder. It, It just goes to show you, you never know what legacy you might have. Man, it's really a coin flip. Speaking
1: of a coin flip though, there is actually a really cute legacy that this left behind. So, she Pearl was buried at Forest Hill Cemetery in Greencastle. Visitors will actually go to her grave and leave pennies with the heads up to honor her because she was buried without her head.
0: Oh, I love that. That's excellent. Hmm.
1: So, I thought that was like a sweet little tidbit. It
0: is. It is. I like that. I did um, look a little bit more into the Bobby Mackey's Music World thing, and because I'm kind of already jonesing for, you know, Halloween, which we do Spookyween, we,
1: spooky-ween.
0: I'm just excited for us to completely suspend our disbelief, but I'm not ready for it yet. So i um, yeah. tell you a little bit more about what, what's happened there. Um, because this is mostly marketing gimmicks, I'm sure. There are way too many improbable tales and legends uh, about tragedies that happen there uh, Pearl Bryan's head, of course, being one of them, but also a pregnant dancer in the 40s who killed herself after her father, or maybe the mob killed her lover. Okay. There has been plenty of violence there in reality, to the extent that at one point it was called the Bloody Bucket. That's a place. And of course, there's a supernatural vortex there, and the place has been featured on such, you know, bastions of journalism as, um, Jerry Springer and Geraldo Geraldo Rivera.
1: Yes, yes.
0: If we, uh, yeah, if we did an episode on on that place for Spooky Ween, I don't think we could even do our usual suspension of disbelief because, whoo, um, but we would have to get ourselves a copy of the book Hell's Gate: Terror at Bobby Mackey's Music World by Douglas Hensley, a self-published masterpiece by the author of such classics as Attack of the Cicadas. Uh, magic voodoo spells and everyone's favorite, favorite book in the world auto sales training. Oh, yeah, and of course, there's the classic Asswang the Demon Wolf. I've read that one, I don't doubt it. <laughs> that's if you're not going for what's in your head right now, that's an unfortunate word or name to uh give to your demon wolf. If you are, then uh. Okay. All right. <laughs> you, if it you is did good. not if it is not werewolf porn, it should be. It should be. It absolutely should be. Yes, one hundred percent. So I have a recipe for you. Actually, I have two. Okay. Hang on one second.
1: Because we don't already play the game where I say I'd eat that.
0: I know, and I picked. I picked one. One of them in particular is is very like. In in honor of your heritage. Oh, okay. There will be smoked fish. Yes, there will. Exactly. Because it is herring salad, not herring salad. This actually might be something my grandmother made. All right, well, let's find out. Herring salad is a veritable tidbit to those who like the fish flavor. Select two skinned, sound, boned herrings, smoked, of course, cut into quarter inch squares. Mix lightly in a bowl with two cold boiled potatoes, two peeled raw apples, two hard boiled eggs, and one pickled beet all cut in dice. Pour French salad dressing over this mixture. Mix lightly but thoroughly and serve at once ice cold.
1: Change French to mayo and I think I've eaten it. Okay well you do love your mayo don't you? I love me some mayo Mm -hmm. and I love me some smoked fish.
0: So, just again, put your two favorite things together.
1: Smash it together. It Smash looks it together. gross,
0: but it goes down smooth. Oh boy. Ah. For some reason that was the worst thing you could say about it. I don't know why. So, all right. I think we've had a a banana salad on here at some point. <laughs> yeah. But, but I I found another one that might uh, appeal to your love of mayo. Okay. So,
1: is it is it the one that's the it's, candlestick? It's
0: not the candlestick. No, it's not the candlestick. Um The candlestick is the banana cut in half.
1: And you you make it so it's upright, and then you dot the tip with, I believe, a cherry and whipped cream. So it looks extra
0: oozy. Suggestive,
1: one might say. Yeah, it's very suggestive.
0: So um, I I think this one is a little different from that one. It's banana and nut salad, which, okay, banana nut bread. Great. Let's find out about this. A delicious white salad is made by combining the white leaves of a lettuce heart and bananas. Arrange the lettuce leaves in the form of an oblong or boat shape. Remove the skin of bananas. Slice them lengthwise through the center. Lay them on the lettuce. Serve with mayonnaise and sprinkle lightly with finely chopped nuts. All right, I'd eat that. Hey, Jackson! Oh, did he?
1: Are you going to make this for me? It's in the
0: fridge.
1: Oh, I'm ready. (laughs) Let's do this. Now, are you supposed to eat the lettuce, or is the lettuce a garnish?
0: I think you're supposed to eat the lettuce.
1: I'm just waiting on my banana.
0: It's coming. And I made sure it was mayonnaise, not Miracle Whip.
1: (laughs) Hello. Oh, Oh, that looks delightful. I love the extra decoration of the mayo (laughs) on the sides. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thank you, sir. I'm excited about my mayo-covered banana. <laughs> All right, now there's no pressure. I'm I'm even gonna dip in some extra mayo. Oh yeah, there you go. This is Yum. mayo though, not
0: Miracle Whip, right? Mayo. Yeah, right, I made it with sure it was mayo. I'm not Bob <laughs> It is mayo. Oh, why did you bring me one? I don't want any.
1: Oh, okay. You're <laughs> not that bad. I actually prefer this to just plain bananas. Amber's eating it up. I like it. <laughs> There are nuts all through the studio now. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of nuts here to begin
0: with. It's weird. <laughs> it's good weird. It's I do like it. Why? <laughs> oh, God. And now you made me think I should try it. All right, I'll try it. Mm. A small, no, it's mm-hmm. like, cut that in half. No, that'll be good. For real, it's good.
1: It's really not as bad as you think. But I've already eaten good.
0: half this banana. Hey, don't force it. do throw cheese. Oh. I think it being refrigerated helps because cold banana is nice. The nuts are doing a lot of work. Mm. All right. Thank you, Jackson. <laughs> oh, I forgot you're recording. Yeah, we're still recording. My mouth is full of nuts and mayo. I actually enjoy that. <laughs> this is Amber's new oh, snack. Yes, get back to your
1: podcast.
0: <laughs> All right. Thank you, sweetie. All right. so That's the best banana I've had in a while. Verdict on uh, banana nut salad is uh, thumbs up. I seems. told you I'd eat it. I knew you would eat it. I wasn't sure if you'd like it or not. I didn't expect to be okay with it, but it actually was not terrible.
1: Yeah, not only did I eat it, I ate like four bites, and then Jackson took it away, and I'm a little sad.
0: Well, you, you can finish it. You can I'm gladly let you finish it when we finish it up in a minute. So let's, I guess let's speed it up. Uh, we have a hello to new patron, Kristen Minnes. Hello. And she spells it the right way. Two I's, like me. <laughs> so... And uh, you too can join our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. We get bonus episodes every week where we talk about crimes that are maybe lesser covered or, you know, um, I, I delve into lists on Wikipedia and get, you know, flesh out the stories there.
1: Yeah. And the super fun thing is that they are all shorter. So if you only have time for a short and sweet, you should be a Patreon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They run about 30 minutes generally. Uh, so it's a really good place to get shorter stuff and quite a huge backlog. So there, there's a lot there. So yeah, there's that. Uh, social media. And don't forget, send us your towns. Tell us about your town for old towny crimey. <laughs> because we want to find the murder there. If there is one. If there is one. There isn't necessarily always. Um, and also, you know, we're cut off at 1954. In general, so.
1: But yes, send us your town, and we will look into it. We will see what we can find, and we will try to tell you a story about your town.
0: Absolutely. I think that would be super, super fun. So yeah, do that, and uh, oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com or over on our Facebook, and um, that's about it. So uh, what you doing this week, Amber?
1: I don't even know. I have no idea what I am doing this week. I'm sure there are things, but right now I cannot think of them. Um,
0: yeah, we've been in the hot studio for too long and now we're all hopped up on banana.
1: I, I really just, I can't think of anything but putting more banana in my mouth right now. That's, that was so good. Why was that so good?
0: (laughs) You should try it with the lettuce. See how that goes. Fuck lettuce. (laughs) All right. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, but it's not going to be eating that banana because that is Amber's job and I'm glad to give it to her. So. All right. Um, we will uh, see you later. Thank you for listening, and thank you for spending this time with us. And um, don't murder in the mud. Second week in a row. goddamn damn. Um, my show notes
1: were clutching my pearls, which Aww. was pretty terrible, and I'm sorry. Mine
0: were the birds and the bees. Okay. Because um, there was questions as to whether it was Bert in the letters or Bird. Oh. So she might have had the nickname Bird. Ah. Uh sources sources my sources this week are psycho usa famous american killers you've never heard of by harold Schechter, aaron blakemore on history.com aaron blakemore on national geographic eric Bernsey in the banner graphic i was only letting myself read things with people authors whose initials were eb apparently uh wikipedia doubtful news roots web wales online and from newspapers.com thank you chris garcia the jackson county banner
1: My sources this week, Psycho USA by Harold Schechter. Thank you, Paul. Murder by Gaslight. Medium.com by Heather Monroe. MSN by Jean Mendoza.
0: All right, let's go uh, put some more banana in your mouth. Yes. Goddamn transcription. He threw her to the ground and slid over the bank with her period. (laughs) Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Thank you. One more time.